Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get your free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash necessary blackness. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. You can access it from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic. Because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognize no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Yo, check out the award-winning docuseries, Elementary Genocide. This docuseries provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. This docuseries features Dr. Umar Johnson, Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Killer Mike, David Banner, Professor James Small, Kaba Kamene, and so many other people. Check out Elementary Genocide, the school-to-prison pipeline, Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, and the latest installment, Elementary Genocide 3, the Academic Holocaust. It's all available now at elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back. And you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and this is another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today... We have a special guest that is going to join us on the other line, and I don't know if many of you have been following the news, but there's a situation that's going on in Detroit, Michigan, as it's been going on all around the world, where you have white individuals, they are using 911 to weaponize themselves with the police because they know that there's a strenuous relationship with those that reside in black and brown community and those that are police, which is nothing more than an occupying army in our community. So with all of that said, I am going to interview this brother 
Um, it was a couple of media outlets that picked up on the story. However, it has not been getting the mainstream press that it deserved. So the brother reached out to Necessary Blackness Podcast because we are the new black media. And if one thing that we do is we get the word out to our people. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce the brother. The brother name is Mark Peoples, but those that's in the community of Detroit know him as Truth. How you doing, brother? Peace, brother. I'm good. How you doing, Peace, man? Appreciate you for having me on the podcast today. Oh, yeah, absolutely, brother. When you reached out, I already knew about the story because me and you follow each other on Facebook. And I seen that it was getting a little attraction. However, it was in the mainstream media. And I know a lot of times they don't tend to tell our story through our worldview. So I wanted to um, introduce you to our listenership. And I wanted you to tell exactly what happened. Because as far as we know, there was a situation with your white neighbor. And her name is Deborah Nash. And she started a campaign of harassment on you, brother. And she has been calling the police consistently on you and making false claims. Now, if you could take us from the humble beginning, tell us a little bit about the situation and your role in the community. Okay, well, um, just starting starting with my role in the community, um, it's, it's the community where I grew up in. I'm not a, a current uh, resident of that community anymore, but you know, I still frequent and have family in that area, and I'm looking to move back into the area. So, um, you know, it's a park that we used to play football in. We used to have swings. It's an abandoned park. So, as you know, I made my journey into uh, community work. These last, you know, five, six years, I was trying to find out, you know, like what would be my, my main lane or, you know, what would I, you know, what would I focus on? So I, you know, started doing some research about the conditions of my city and, you know, started running across the word food desert, food desert, you know what I mean? So Detroit is a food desert, which means that people don't have direct access to fresh produce, you know, on a, on a livable level throughout the city. And my neighborhood, you know, where I grew up, being one of these included until until recently. Um, so I, you know, picked the park to put the, you know, to put the farm. You know, um, it's perfect, empty park. Nobody, you know what I'm saying? Nothing but animals be out there. I'm not disturbing the nature. You know? Found the land. I'm like, it's a public park, so you know, I don't have to have to worry about you know anyone worrying about it. You know what I'm saying? As far as on the city level, as long as I keep it clean, I know they won't complain. They'd be taking a job off of them. So that's what I did. I started, you know, late 2016 is when I started uh, mapping the area out. Me and a few people I know, you know, that were helping me, you know, uh, structure and build it, build up the garden. So we mapped out how we were going to lay it out in the spring. This is in September, October of 2016. So now we fast forward, you know, the winter of 2017 happened. So now we fast forward. I mean, the winter of 2016 happened. Now we get to the spring of 2017, and I actually, you know, put the, you know, start planting and put the garden out there. So once I get the garden up and running, now the neighbors, they they start coming around to see what's going on, asking me questions. You know, they started off, you know, it wasn't no problem. It was just, you know, normal neighborly interest. You know, you see somebody in your neighborhood. You know, I didn't take too, uh, too much alarm to it. I would expect people you know, to come out and see what's going on in the immediate environment. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So when they did that, you know, I was very cordial. It wasn't no problem. Um, 
actually the lady Deborah Nash actually hired me to do some painting for uh, in the summer of 2017, allegedly after I had supposedly already threatened her, but that's further down the line. So at this point, I'm not thinking there's any problems. We're not having no problems. So then we get to the uh, late summer 2017 and I paint uh, the trees, a tree red, black, and green on a vacant house that I had boarded up and started maintaining and cutting the grass and caring for the property or whatever. So I painted the tree red, black, and green on the porch. So then once I did that, that's when the, they, they actually became a little more hostile. Like, what are you doing? You can't do this. You can't do that and this and that. So he's like, whoa. Like, you know, so I just started just not, not really distancing, you know, just distancing myself and just staying to myself and not, you know, having any dealings with them at all. So I'm not, you know, in no way, fashion, form did I ever threaten these women. You know what I'm saying? It's three women who live uh, not directly next door to each other, but they live on the same street. It's uh, vacant lots in between the house. So um, come to find out, the whole time, the summer of 2017, the whole time, baby, Deborah Nash has started a paper trail. She went to the to the police, I want to say June of 2017 was the first time, uh, saying that I threatened her, uh, said I would burn her house. No, first she said that I told her I could take her house at any time. That was the first report and said that uh, I would burn her house down. So then the second time is in August of 2017. Now she's saying that I stood, you know, stood outside her house, told her that I would uh, burn her house down and that I would kill her. Then again in November of, uh, no, December of 2017, Deborah Nash herself went to the precinct and said that, again, repeatedly said that um, in the middle of the winter time, I showed up in front of her house, stood out there yelling that I'm going to kill you, I'm going to um, burn your house down. This, that, and the third. Um, and then the other two women, they said that the incident occurred November of 2017. So, uh, saying again that I threatened them, said that I would kill them and their dog, and I told them that white people shouldn't live over here. And so they basically were trying to paint me as a racist. Mm. So unbeknownst, you know, this is in 2017. So, so we go, I go through that whole growth season, I do my season, you know what I'm saying? Um, Everything goes smoothly. So we come back again, you know, 2018 to, you know, springtime. It's time to start the farm up again. I'm up there. Uh, this is uh, the actual video that they have uh, where the police roll up on me. This was evidence at the trial. And the police pull up on me saying that, uh, you know, three cars deep with six police officers. You know, I'm out there with a rake in my hand. You know what I mean? So yeah. at this point, I'm like... You know, yeah, yeah. And this is the call that they said that I had a gun, but when the police come, they don't say that. The police never tell me that them women called and said that I had a gun. You know what I'm saying? They didn't pull up and say that. They 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 on video saying it to themselves, and that's how I found out about it because of the video. And also on the video, I found out that, that these women or that the deputy chief of police, which is the second person in command under the chief of police, has an interest in a stalking, uh, misdemeanor stalking case. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You understand the severity. That's like the chief of police worrying about your traffic. You know what I mean? Like, you know, doing the investigate, you know, sitting down with somebody with a traffic misdemeanor or a traffic warrant, you know, like, well, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's on the same level as that. It's unheard of. Yeah, let me, let me ask you something else, too. They also... Um, tried to label you as a pedophile because you had children yeah, that I'm was working. That. That's okay, coming. that's coming. 
So so March is the first time that they that they that the police physically uh seen me, but they have been calling them on me since two thousand and seventeen. So when I show back up in two thousand and eighteen, the police physically show up. So on this day, the, the ladies are actually out there the day that these police show up. So they talk to me, then they pull off and talk to the police. So after this, every time that I'm out at the at the garden, the damn near every time the police are called on, they show up about half the time. So out of from March until uh, May when I was arrested, they called the police on me over 20 times, uh, the FOIA reports, over a dozen times for sure. So every time they called, so this, the time they called them in March is when they said that I had a gun. So then uh, fast forward to May, I'm out there with a homeschool initiative that I work with, which um, I have a program um, called Liberation Through Agriculture, where I was teaching the youth agriculture, teaching how agriculture can, you know, build nations and liberate the land and, you know, things of that nature. It's the origins and, and history of agriculture and why it's so important to maintaining and upholding the community and the nation, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's a part of, that's the program that I was building, you know what I mean? That's what, you know, that's, and that's what this whole, that's what this urban farming is about. It's not just about, oh, I just doing a garden, you know, they say, oh, he's just gardening while black. No, this is an institution that I was building. You know, I want that to be very clear. Mm. That's why, you know, of course, I know mainstream media not going to promote it that way. But, of course, I did tell them this. And I also uh, had a, a youth guidance program that I did and that I was incorporating into, into the urban farm, which is called a Truth Camp. And it's an alternative to boot camp. So instead of, you know, sending your son to a boot camp, you can send him over here to me to Truth Camp. I'll work him on the urban farm or take them to a, a rural farm, work them as far as on the discipline tip, and also, you know, give them some guidance from a person who's been down, the, you know what I'm saying? I've been in trouble before. You know, I've been down that path, you know, same old story. Grew up in the hood, get in trouble, go to prison, you know, and I changed my life. You know, I transformed my life while I was in prison. Absolutely. You know I mean? so, so that's what, what I'm doing out here. That's, what, that's why I work in the community. That's why I'm keeping this particular block clean, you know what I'm saying? In my name, it's not just the garden, it's the whole entire block that I clean. And since I haven't been over there since May, it hasn't been clean and blighted. We haven't um, cleaned up this Sunday about it. That's where we, that, so as I'm out there with our children, let me, you know, not get too far for the story. Um, one of these women, two, which they all deny it, but one of these women called, oh, matter of fact, no, one, one said who was Martha Callahan. She called, and said that, uh, told the police that I was outside with children and I wasn't supposed to be around children because I had a, a CSC charge in my jacket, which I don't have no charge of, of any of that sort. I've never been accused of that on file, off file, anywhere in the history of life. You know what I'm saying? When you hear anybody tell you that I'm a pedophile or anything related to a pedophile. So let me be very, very clear with that. You know what I'm saying? So when they, when they pull up, they pull up for that. So I don't even know that I have a warrant. So I don't even know at this time that I got a warrant. So I'm out there talking. You know, we got this on video, too. It's a video available for this, too. So as I'm talking back and forth to the police, as they, you know, running my name and, and getting to trying to see what's going on, they talking about, shit, you got a warrant for stalking. I'm like, what? You know what I'm saying? Hell no, I don't got no warrant. The police just left here the day before. They, they had just called the police on me, like, the day before or, or that, you know what I'm saying, uh, Couple days prior, and they was out there. They ran my name, told me I ain't had nothing, no warrants, nothing to worry about. That they, you know, that they tell their superiors about it, you know. But they, but but for some reason, they kept telling them to come. You know what I'm saying? It's like 
at, at some point, after you call the police, show up five, six times, and they see that there's nothing going on, to me, it seems like they would be able to tell their superiors, like, you know, why y'all keep sending us over here? It's, it's foolishness. But yeah. for some reason, their superiors kept pushing, kept pushing. You know what I mean? And, I, and me, you know, I can't, you know, speak to too much of it because we do have you know some litigation opinion but me i feel like it, it has you know my affiliation with the community work and my stance as far as you know advocating last year uh, with the family of a young man who was murdered by the uh, state police here in detroit um people who have been murdered by the police here in detroit you know i'm i'm I'm, you know, I'm, I'm for it. I'm front line when it comes down to that. You know what I'm saying? They know this. And I know that they know this. You know what I'm saying? I've spoken on panels that where they were trying to say Detroit police was, you know what I'm saying, uh, no different. I mean, or better than other places. And, you know, I spoke out and said no, it's the same. Against the, you know, speak out against these things. So I feel like, you know, this was a very targeted attack against me, and they were using this situation to try to, you know, ruin my life. Man. Women and the police. Yeah, let me interject right there, right? Um, I just want to ask you a, a, a couple of questions. I know this yeah, happened right. in Detroit, Michigan, but is this mm -hmm. in a predominantly black neighborhood? And what side of Detroit did this happen on? Yeah, it's definitely um, a you know, majority of our people uh, neighborhood. Um, and also, uh, you know, it's a, it, growing up, it was a mixed neighborhood, though. You know what I'm saying? It was a few white families growing up, but not, you know, like you said, 85% of our people, of course. And it's on the east side of Detroit um, in the 8 Mile John R. Backstreet's area adjacent to the state fairground. Um, let, let me ask you... Yeah, let me ask you another question. What has been the community response to um these allegations and um have you been getting any help from the community? Are they on your side? What's the situation with that? Oh yeah, well, you know, the community has been with me um from the get go. You know, we did a uh when it first happened we did a petition signed by over 50 people in the community, and our community is a small neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? It's only like about five, six, you know, blocks, and it's very dilapidated, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very few occupied houses in my community at this point in time. It didn't always, it wasn't always like that, of course, you know, this happened all the time, but, so, yeah, the community been behind me from the Jump Street. It was, you know, as far as the personal people in the community, yeah, they stood with me from the beginning. They knew it was live. They knew what I do in the community, you know, I've, uh, this year we just, even despite these, uh, uh, allegations, I was still able to, uh, hold my third annual, uh, book bag, uh, and, uh, neighborhood book bag giveaway, neighborhood cleanup, you know, presented by my company that I have, uh, real steel clothing. We sponsor, uh, a book bag giveaway and a, uh, neighborhood cleanup for the last three years. So this is the third year we did that. We passed o over 300 book bags. Um, giving away fresh produce at every event, fed the people, had a bounce house, popcorn machine, everything for the children. So, you know, we've definitely, you know, the community is with us. So I, that's so that's excellent, there. brother, because that's what we need. We need brothers that are involved in the community. And for those that are just joining us, um, I am speaking to the brother Mark Peoples, and everybody know him in the community as Truth, and he's telling us about the situation that happened out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, the brother has been actively involved in his community so that it doesn't become a food desert. And not only is he guarding, but he is building an institution for our babies, and he has received pushback 
from suspected racists and white supremacists in his community. And we want to get the story out about what this brother is going through and see if we can help him in his endeavors. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to come back and we're going to speak to the brother and he's going to tell us about his day in court and what was the outcome of that and where we go from here. This is Raheem Shabazz. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Kofi Brinkley, a Georgia Independent Insurance Agent. Life insurance is very important for the protection of your family. In these times with the rising cost of living, health care, and burial, life insurance is more important than ever. I'm reminded of a client who assumed that they had enough coverage and found out the hard way when the primary breadwinner lost their job due to illness. Unfortunately, the family wasn't covered appropriately during this illness and the home was lost and a business was closed as a result. A simple life insurance policy could have saved the family the anguish of poverty and loss of income and assets. If you're interested in finding out how to protect your family and your assets for the untimely dread messenger death, please reach out to me on Facebook at KMB Independent Insurance Agency. That's KM as in more, B Insurance Agency on Facebook. Be sure to like our page. Necessary Blackness Podcast don't accept sponsorship from third-party corporations or influencers. We are supported by the people. If you are an avid listener of the podcast, consider donating to our cause. Go to elementarygenocide.com and click on the donation link. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docu-series. This is Shalee. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of The Wonderful from Afros and Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is the lowrider guru, Thomas T.J. Lofton from Compton, California. When I'm traveling around the world or I'm in the car, I got Necessary Blackness podcast on checking out my man, Ryan Shabazz. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Fully Podcast. You know me when you see me. You've heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness podcast with my brother, my homeboy, my main Number one cousin from another oven, my man Ryan Shabazz, man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. This is Siraj, founder of the Man in the Mirror Project, hanging out with Raheem Shabazz all the way from the UK, representing that Necessary Blackness podcast. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. 
Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are back from our quick commercial break. And for those that are just joining us, we are we is speaking <laughs> to the brother Truth out of Detroit, from the east side of Detroit. And he's telling us about the situation that happened with racist and suspected white supremacists that was mad and upset because he decided to have or community garden, and he was out there helping and doing a lot for the community. And the problem really started when he be, when he painted the tree red, black, and green. And as y'all know, that is the black liberation colors from our great grandmaster teacher Marcus Garvey. And they was upset about that. And despite this all being untrue, the allegations that was put forth on this brother, not only was it untrue, but it was an outright lie. And he was charged with three counts of stalking by the Wayne County prosecutor. However, the brother had his day in court, and um, he's going to come and tell us what was the outcome of that. All right, Truth, you still there with us, brother? Yes, sir. Okay, so they arrest you, and they charge you. Three counts of stalking. You have your day in court. Mm-hmm. Take us yeah, through my that. Bond was, yeah, let me start off too. Let me say they set my bond at thirty-five thousand dollars too, ten percent. You know what I'm saying for a misdemeanor case. You know what I mean, which is absolutely unheard of. You know what I mean. People with uh, armed robbery get twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying, thirty thousand dollars bond. You know what I mean. The shooting cases that don't have bonds that high. So. <clears throat> So, as we, you know, um, I get out. Uh, of course, I get, you know, obtained an attorney. Um, so I figure, you know, I see what they're saying. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I'm reading the police reports. I'm reading the evidence they got. And I'm like, I'm like, man, they blatantly lying. Like, they just made this up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never had no kind no nowhere near any kind of conversation where it would be uh, interpreted as a threat in any kind of way. So... So as I'm reading it, I'm telling them, you know, I get to do it my own. So I'm putting the dates together. So I see his dates that I was totally somewhere else and can prove that I was somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which my lawyer, during the <clears throat> during the trial, my lawyer never even had to present any of this evidence. You know what I'm saying? So fast forward to the trial. So we so it, it makes it all the way to trial. You know, it, it doesn't, we, we file for a motion to dismiss, uh, I want to say a week before trial start, they don't that the judge denies our motion. Um, I think more so because she really wanted to hear the case than that our motion wasn't strong enough. You know, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, because because of the ridiculousness of this case, you know what I'm saying? To be honest, like this, but it's to be on record. You know what I mean? Like once the transcripts come out and everything, people get to really see how like you know frivolous and stupid this case was. 
you know, for it to be wasted, you know, for the court time to be wasted on this, you know what I'm saying? It's very, you know, very uh, mind-boggling to me. Yeah, so take us to so, the outcome. So, what was the outcome? All right, so so we get to court, we go to trial. Um, start off by saying that the prosecution didn't even um, do an opening argument. You know, they uh, waived a opening argument. So that's never been, I've never seen that in, you know, my 20 years of dealing with the, you know, judicial system. Um, so they called the three, the, the three witnesses, which were the three complaining witnesses. Um, outside of that, the only other evidence that was shown in court was, uh, was two videos. One video was the officers when the, the day of the arrest, I, I mean, not the arrest, but the day that they pulled up on me about when they said that I had a gun. And another video when I was getting arrested, and the reason why these videos were played is to show that they lied about me having a gun, and they also called and said that you know reported that I was uh, as a criminal sexual conduct charge in my uh, rap sheet. So after they present the evidence, we play those videos. My lawyer files a motion for a directed verdict. The jury is in. The jury heard the case, so they about to go deliberate. Before this, so and so he had, he filed a motion before they were sent to deliberate for a directed verdict, and then, of course the judge granted it, granted the uh, uh, motion for a directed verdict and gave the acquittal verdict. Mm. And I was reading that, you know, in addition to the false charges being dropped, the judge said that the charges was ridiculous and troubling. And she goes on as well as to quote, let me find this quote right here. The judge not only dismissed the charges, but she admonished these three ladies. And she told them that they should be sitting at the defendant's table for stalking and harassment charges, not Mr. Peoples. She went on further to say this is disgusting and a waste of the court's time and resources. And then she granted the defense motion for a direct verdict, which closes the case before it actually went to the grand jury. Now, I want to ask you something. There is not going to be any counter charge or the city, the state are not going to, um, you know, because this is feverish. And in addition to that, taxpayers' money was being spent on this. Um, I understand that, you know, you had to go through financial hardship to get out of bail, to pay a bond, lost the wages, and, you know, just the hardship and pain that you had to go through. These young ladies should, well, I don't know if they're young, these old ladies <laughs> should be in jail. Hey, uh, I, I spoke with my attorney, we in the process of, you know, seeing how uh, what what avenues are we gonna take in that aspect. So, from my understanding of my research and understanding of it, I think I would have to go file a report, which is probably gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Um, but as far as like the, you know, as far as charges, that would be up to the prosecutor's office. You know what I'm saying? I can only file a complaint as a complaining witness, and, and the same way that they filed it against me. So. Yeah. As far as that goes, that's 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 all that could be done in that area. But uh, of course, you know, it's always a civil suit. But my main thing is, you know, is uh, it's just that to you know to let the people know, man, like this is not this is not no joke. You know what I mean? Like people are always giving, you know, I see these memes and things like that. Yeah, it's all fun and games because those people 
didn't actually go to jail and didn't actually get arrested. You know, yeah, barbecue Becky, that's cute, cool, and fun. But then what about on the instance, I don't have no video. You know what I'm saying? I ain't had no, nobody recording these women calling these, going in this precinct, making these false allegations. You know what I'm saying? And it got more serious and serious every time. Basically, they're using the police, like you, like I'm glad you said that, as a weapon. You know, mm-hmm. trying to intimidate me with the police. And then once they seen <clears throat> that I wasn't intimidated because they were calling the police on me, they they went and got fake charges and went was willing to go all the way to court, get on the stand and go all the way with a lie, you know what I'm saying, hoping that a jury would convict me. And if they would have, I would be doing a year in the county right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I had to pay 3500 bonds, uh, thousands for my attorney. Um, you know what I mean? I lost my job. I lost contract. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I was working with a homeschool. When they arrested me, it was parents out there who heard the police say that I was uh, opposed to be a pedophile, and then I get arrested. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So they don't know if I was actually a pedophile or not. You know what I'm saying? So this is all, and, and that video went viral on Facebook when I got arrested. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and you know, I want this to be clear. I reached out, not to you personally, but I reached out to other so-called, uh, you know, uh, independent black media outlets to try to bring some attention, you know, because I felt like I was being railroaded and I didn't understand why, you know, you know what I mean, until I dig, dug deeper into it, you know, and then they didn't, you know, it was crickets. And then now all of a sudden that this case comes out and, then, you know, the article goes viral and this and that and third, now everybody want to, you know, do an interview. That's why I reached out to you personally because, you know what I'm saying, I, I've heard good things about you. I mean, I appreciate you, you know, letting me tell my story, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. And one thing that we have to be mindful of is that, unfortunately, a lot of our people believe that the white man ice is colder. And until it gains traction with mainstream media, then everybody want to jump on the bandwagon. And um, before we close, I just want to let our listeners know that there always has been a peculiar relationship between black farmers and white America. Let's don't forget, a group of black farmers from Tennessee and Mississippi are currently suing Stein Seed Corporation. And they're suing them for selling them defective seeds which resulted in poor harvest and them, many of them, losing their farms. $100,000 worth of soybean seeds were sold to these farmers in Tennessee and Mississippi. On uh, daily harvest, um, 35 bushels was harvest per acre after they purchased these soybean seeds, how can you go from 35 bushels per acre to five bushels per acre? It happened because they were sold defective seeds. And also, let's keep in mind that black farmers, they made up 14% of all farmers in the 1920s. And now today, 2018, there is less than 2% of black farmers. So what this brother is doing is making sure that our community 
in Detroit doesn't become a food desert. And we need to have more black farmers. And we need to stand behind these black farmers because we always talk about economics and controlling the resources in our community. And food is one of the resources. Just imagine these three white ladies had their own farm and was feeding the community the food. They don't like you. They don't even want you in your own community to control your own resources. So we have to do it for ourselves, people. And before I close, brother, um, I know that you had a GoFundMe. Is that GoFundMe still active? Yes, it's still active. Okay, let the people know. Let the people know about that GoFundMe and what we can do as a community to help you. Okay, uh, the campaign is on GoFundMe will pop up as Gardening While Black. Um, that was set up by a close friend of mine. I didn't know they were going to set that up. You know, it's been very successful. All right, brother. So, in addition to gardening and homeschooling and helping the community, what other things that you have going on that the community can support you in? Oh, uh, well... You know, as far as um, my business, I'm a business owner. I have a, a small clothing company, Real Spill Clothing, um, under Real Spill Enterprises, LLC. Uh, we on Instagram at Real Spill Enterprises and at, on Facebook at Real Spill, R-E-A-L-S-P-I-L-L. Um, and also, um, I'm a, a youth guidance. Like I said, I got that coming. And this summer, um, instead of uh, doing an athletic camp, we will be doing a, um, a STEM camp called the STEM of God camp where we, you know, we're going to be working with the people, you know, students, youth that excel in um, science, technology, engineering, and math, you know, and, and make a, a fun camp for them and, and connect it to, you know, our uh, heroes and great ancestors, Imhotep and stuff like that and show them, you know, that, you know, that, that mathematics come from us, you know, and all these, these uh, fields come from our people. Absolutely. All right, that's it for us here at Necessary Blackness Podcast Truth. I want to thank you for allowing me to interview you and for being on this podcast. And I want you to keep in contact with us and let us know the progress of what goes on um, in regards to these three individuals being brought up on charges of, charges of their own for stalking you. And I want you to keep us abreast on your uh, program that's happening in the summer, the STEM program, and anything else you might have going on so that the listeners of Necessary Blackness Podcast can put our full support behind you. And with that, I'm going to say peace and black power family. This is Raheem Shabazz, and I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Peace.